Follow What Was The Score podcast on Twitter at WWTS underscore podcast and follow us on YouTube too at the same name, What Was The Score podcast, the sports history podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hi guys, a little disclaimer. Um, this one's not that great because I feel awful at the time of recording. I think I have a cold coming in, so I do apologize. But anyway, enjoy it. Good morning, good afternoon, and Jin W, and welcome back to What Was the Score, the Sports History Podcast. Interesting one for you today is about football in London specifically London. I give you a little brief historiography of you know how it grew, how it developed, and then I start talking about some of the derbies because of course you can't understand English football without understanding that intense rivalry between fans. So sit back, enjoy this one, and have a nice day. As of the 2020-2021 season, there are 12 London clubs in the Football League, six of which are in the Premier League and six of which are in the lower. The teams are, with the Prem 6 first, Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal, West Ham, Crystal Palace and Fulham. Charlton, Millwall, Leighton Orient, Brentford, Wimbledon and QPR. Additionally, there are around 30 teams down to the 8th tier of English football, you know, including Dulwich Hamlet and so on and so forth, with hundreds upon hundreds under that. On top of this, there are now many defunct clubs, including, but not limited to, of course, uh, Wimbledon, most famously, uh, Clapham Rovers, who won the FA Cup, and uh, Croydon Athletic, most recent of the notable clubs to fold in 2012. It is worth noting, however, that many of these now-defunct clubs are either operating under a new Phoenix club or have reformed under a similar name. Although there were some editions of football in London as early as 1163, the first codified game was created in 1863 by the Football Association. Key to this was Ebenezer Cobb Morley, a founding member of the FA, and also the figure behind the first ever meeting of the FA in a Freemason's Tavern. The first modern passing form of the game was invented in London in the early 1870s by the Royal Engineers AFC. Curiously, all of the 12 founding clubs of the FA were from London, yet many are since defunct or now playing rugby union. So how did the game grow so popular? With a fall in church attendance towards the end of the 19th century, there was a gap in people's weekend in which they looked to fill it with, of course, leisure. Thus, in 1882, the London Football Association was established. This led to an explosion of clubs, and of those surviving currently in the Football League, Fulham's considered the oldest, which of course is, you know, reflected in the current state of Craving Cottage when, you know, putting it in comparison to the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, you know, the Olympic Stadium of West Ham and the Emirates of Arsenal. However, Cray Wanderers in the Isthmian League is the oldest excellent club in Greater London. At first, football was dominated by public schoolboys, as you know, I've spoken about beforehand. 
Weaver identifies that through public schooling and rugby, as a you know, similar example, it was perceived that one could emancipate oneself from the vestiges of being a child. In his you know, analysis of early primary sources, public school, rugby magazines. Here we encounter the issue of gender and gender roles, where it's almost didactic that men play and are good at rugby, but of course that would end up becoming sport and football, and uh, sport more generally, with poorer sportsmen being lesser men. Whilst this specific example you know, concerns rugby, this cult of athleticism would also extend to football shown by the opposition to Royal Arsenal going professional in 1891, leading to a boycott from the amateur London Football Association. So what's the significance behind them going professional? Why does that matter? So initially, competitive sport in Britain was an expression of gentlemanly behaviour, serving as a reclamation of sport from the lower orders. Okay, that's fine. <coughs> what does it mean? Again, we haven't, we're just laying more information onto it. It all comes from this idea of the amateur, okay? The amateur and the professional. The amateur and the professional, and I'll get onto that. Up until the later Victorian period, there were consistent attacks on the working class taking part in sport, with Edward II banning a rudimentary form of football in 1314. This disdain for communist playing sport was reignited around 16... Uh, no, I'll try again. Was reignited around 1765, with sport being associated with violence. Ergo, the reclamation of sport by the public schools often happens when Holt, who of course wrote Sport and the British, the seminal work on British sports history, states that they regarded sport as a civilised sort of simulated battle, and that's a hard phrase to say. Fine differences in language like this are key to British sport culture, with a prominent example being amateur and professional. And this is, this is vital. Initially, be an amateur sportsman was indicative of class in a similar way to being an MP was prior to the removal of the property qualification and prior to MP wages. If you had the time to play amateur sport, you were not at work, implying your wealth. Using this logic, it only makes sense that public schools were the breeding ground of modern British sports culture. Elite sports, elite sports soon became another string to the bow of elite schools, with Holt remarking that the culture of athleticism steadily came to dominate the whole system, and within this there's direct lineage to modern times through the continuation of the boat race between Oxford and Cambridge. Despite this, a love for higher quality of football prevailed, with teams including Millwall in 93, Spurs in 95, and both Fulham and West Ham in 98 turning professional. Meanwhile, Woolwich Arsenal went on to become the first London club to join the Football League back in 1893. Now, all of this came to a head and culminated in the 1989-90 season, in which eight of London's professional clubs were in the top tier of English football at the same time. Historically, London clubs have not been as successful as those from the North West. Between Liverpool, Manchester United, Everton and Man City, they have won the top league championship 52 times. Despite this, in recent years, Arsenal, Chelsea and Spurs have consistently permeated the top six. Due to this competitiveness and the proximity of the London clubs to one another, rivalry is common. The most bitter 
and long-standing rivalry in London football, of course I'm not talking about Turkey or Scotland, is that of Millwall and West Ham. The match was historically known as the Dockers Derby, as both set of supporters were predominantly Dockers at shipyards on either side of the River Thames. Consequently, each set of fans works for rival firms who are competing for the same business. You know, this intensified the tension between the teams. On the 17th of September 1906, in a Western League game, Millwall player Alf Dean was hurled against. It's not funny, but you, <laughs> but you know, was hurled against a metal advertising board by West Ham's Len Jarvis, classic Len Jarvis that is. Others were stretched off following heavy tackles. <laughs> The East Ham Echo reported, from the very first kick of the ball, it was seen likely to be some trouble, but the storm burst when Dean and Jarvis came into collision, and during this match Millwall had two players sent off. This aroused considerable excitement, excitement among spectators. The crowds on the bank having caught the fever, free fights were plentiful. Some things don't change, do they? <laughs> but what really galvanised the rivalry was when Millwall broke the 1926 Dockers strike. Before this, the disparity in leagues meant that the teams were somewhat unbothered by one another. But of course, you know, the Dockers strike, a very, very, very brief history of it was, um, the Dockers went on strike and Millwall broke it. Millwall decided to keep working for money. And uh, West Ham felt hard done by now. The 60s saw the rise of the Crays in the East End and the Richardsons in the South East. And this would only accentuate this dichotomy between the two regions and by proxy teams. An even bleaker turn came in 1976 when Millwall fan Ian Pratt died in a skirmish with West Ham fans at New Cross, a station that led to his fall under a train. Letters were handed out in the Denton's Cold Blow Lane, which of course is where Millwall played with a grainy picture of Pratt and a declaration in capital letters. A West Ham fan must die next week to avenge him. The police responded with an unprecedented show of force for the game at Upton Park, which West Ham won 3-0. Some 500 police officers controlled the crowd, carrying out extensive searches and strict segregation. Six officers were injured and 70 people were arrested and fans clashed in the street. Numerous weapons were also seized, and this of course was also the time that football hooliganism reached its peak in England under West Ham's ICF. The North London derby started under more natural circumstances. Arsenal moved into Highbury, which Tottenham considered as theirs, and a natural rivalry of geography started. This was only intensified in 1919 when the first division was to be expanded by two teams. The way this decision was made was by way of a vote. Tottenham finished last in the first division and therefore put in a bid to take one of the two places with the other already claimed by Chelsea who finished 19th. After an endorsement by league president and chairman of Liverpool John McKenna on account of their longer membership of the league, Arsenal won the vote by 18 votes to Spurs' 8. Barnsley got 5, Wolves 4, Forest 3, Birmingham 2 and Hull City 1 for comparison. And were thus elected to the 1st Division. Tottenham were relegated. 
Now, a lot of people think that this was done under dodgy circumstances on Arsenal's perspective, and, you know, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Nonetheless, Tottenham haven't forgot. And to the stay, the rivalry, uh, rivalry, I'm doing really well this morning, can you tell? Is alive and well, with there being only one season since 1950 that Arsenal and Spurs weren't in the same division, making meetings between the two teams a frequent occurrence. The fans of both teams are naturally multi-ethnic due to the racial diversity in London. However, Spurs at one point had as much as a third as their fan base being Jewish. This put them on the receiving end of anti-Semitic chants, but in more recent years, Spurs have reclaimed the slurs of Yid and Yiddo, two terms which I don't particularly use lightly, but they've, they've made it some of their own, they've created it as a name for their supporters, despite, and, and here's the kicker, nowadays Tottenham have the same percentage of Jewish fans as Arsenal do, about 5%. Much much controversy still surrounds this term obviously <laughs> only in recent years with um you know the politics bleeds into it jeremy corbyn famous north londoner um has been accused of anti-semitism and due to this rivalry few players have crossed the divide most notably perhaps being sol campbell who earned himself the moniker of judas he's not alone though emmanuel adebayor william gallas Pat Jennings and Willie Young being the most recognisable names to play a significant number of games for either side. Outside of these two big examples, there are rivalries amongst most London clubs, with the the other London clubs simply by being from London. Moreover, in the case of Chelsea, Arsenal and Tottenham, the level of elite competition for the Premier League title kicks those hornets' nests. There are East London derbies between West Ham and Leighton Orient, which was last relevant when the debate debate of who should move into the Olympic Stadium arose, which is conveniently the last time Leighton Orient were relevant. Millwall hate everyone, uh, but South London teams like Palace especially. Chelsea, Brentford and Fulham also share a rivalry being from West London. But of course, it's often sold that anytime there's a London derby, it'll be a good one. I've been Jamie, this has been what was the Score of Sports History podcast, thank you for listening and have a nice day.